everybody, this is Nathan here with Jake, and you're about to listen to what we call Sound of Sanity 1.0. Now, Jake, what do we mean when we say Sanity 1.0? Well, Sound of Sanity was a show we'd been wanting to do for a really long time, and we'd never really seen our way clear to getting it off the ground. Right, so one day we decided the best way to get it off the ground was just to sit down, hit record, three friends talking into microphones. Since that time, the show has changed and grown a whole lot. The modern version of Sound of Sanity really began to develop around episode 34 on Jordan B. Peterson. Yeah, there's some stuff we're really proud of in this early iteration of this show and some stuff we're possibly, probably, maybe not so proud of. But there's some good stuff and we wanted to leave these up. Plus, we thought it'd be fun for people who know the current show to go back and see how far the show's come. Yeah, fun and maybe sometimes a little humbling. No doubt. Anyway, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the current version of the show. That's right. And meanwhile, please enjoy this episode from the archives. You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Is it insane for Christians to feel depression? That's a good question, and I know I'd be depressed if I wasn't here. Beginning yet another episode of The Sound of Sanity, or Sound of Sanity, I don't think it actually has the article in front of it. Uh, No, it doesn't, but that's okay. I'm probably going to call it The Sound of Sanity a lot, so just get used to that. Buckle your seatbelts. Get ready for another episode of The Sound of Sanity, hosted by me. Your humble and obedient host, Nathan Alverson, joined, of course, no, I should say who I am. I'm, well, I just said who I am, but I should say what my my stats are. I am uh, 6'2". I uh, weigh, like, a lot. Um, I won't give you that stat, actually. <laughs> this felt sudden Agil- shame. Agility, 4 out of 10. Right. <laughs> Strength, right. 9 out of 10. Exactly. Energy projection, 8 out of 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my magic is 9.6. I am the creative director of Warhorn Media. You may know me from other Warhorn Media ventures. I'm joined by the chief executive officer or CEO, if I like to call him, Jacob Menzel. How you doing, Jake? I'm doing great. How are you, Nathan? <laughs> doing all right. Do I need to like give my stats or something? How much do you weigh, Jake? Two ten-ish. Two ten-ish. Yeah. That is about six four two ten. Six four two ten. I am six two and weigh considerably more than that. And over there, clocking in at uh, a, a scant 163 pounds. <laughs> if only. If only. Yeah. <laughs> Take about 40 uh, off of that, yeah, I guess. Like Maybe 138 30. or yeah. something. Um, we've got our faithful hapless production assistant. Emphasis on hapless. Or maybe is hap maybe maybe you have some hap, I don't know. Would you consider yourself to be hapful or hapless? I'm uh hap to be square. I'm a half half <laughs> Half hap, half empty. Half hap, half hazard. Lee, hap. He's he's. Are you are you happy? Are you happy to be here? I'm happy to be here. <laughs> why did you why did you put the emphasis we on just, the? We keep talking about hap. Yeah, yeah yeah I know, but you didn't put the emphasis. You could have said hap e to be here, but instead you said hap e to be here. As if we'd been talking about e, we have that's, not been talking about e. Well, that's part of my haplessness. <laughs> right, right right. That was very hapless. I'm gonna go ahead and say you're hapless. His name is Benjamin Salser. You know him. You love him from episode one. Uh, but this is episode two today. 
this is the sound of sanity. This is your chance, dear listener, to come up for oxygen out of the the, the ocean of insane, weird, cultural oppression that you feel all the time. So that you get to come up and, and feel like a normal person with the three most normal people in the entire world. Mr. Nathan Robertson, Pastor Jacob Benzel, and Ben Sulzer, our beloved, soon-to-be breakout character, I'm sure, the uh, production assistant. Well, guys, let's get to it. Today's episode is about the subject of depression. And it came out of the fact that I was very depressed a couple weeks ago, actually. Eh, well, maybe we should start by defining our terms. Ben, look up depression for us. Whoa. Find us a good definition of depression. Sure thing. Well, oh, depression as a mood is a state of low mood and aversion to activity. And then there's like major depressive disorder that you have to you have to be in a a low kind of unpleasant mood for at least two weeks to qualify. At least two weeks. Is that really what it takes? That's what that's how that's what Wikipedia says. It's often in any case, if you feel depressed, you feel you have low self-esteem, loss of interest in normally enjoyable activities, low energy and pain without a clear cause. That was exactly what I was feeling. And that is the way that we will be defining depression throughout the remainder of this show. I think there are different kinds of depression, which I'm sure is something we'll talk about. There is a clinical variety that, uh, you know, where people go on pills and stuff because they've been they can't find any meaning in their life for weeks and weeks on and that's not what we're principally talking going to be talking about today i think we're probably going to mostly be talking about those times in the christian life where you just feel a little low and you don't feel god's presence and you feel what's the point kind of stuff Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the more severe kinds of depression as well. We'll we'll see where the conversation goes. Let's uh let's get our bearings here. How does uh anybody ever been depressed before? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Do tell. Oh, goodness. Let's see. I ben Soldier's a, a very de- depressed guy. He... Yeah. I'm, you're saying I'm, I'm a depressed guy? Are you a depressed guy? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so these days, but I still feel it sometimes, for sure. Okay. I get depressed. Um, but I, when I was a teenager in high school, I went through a period of being you know, clinically depressed. For I, months, maybe it was a few years. It's a little hazy now, but I was prescribed various antidepressant drugs by a doctor or two and i i even had a psychiatrist i went to and he at the same time he was trying to deal with like add and stuff like that and i remember feeling the effects of those drugs and having some very unpleasant times there was there was something that put me like on an emotional tightrope where at, at the slightest whatever i would break down and burst into tears and i remember being unable to control that and my mom saying i think that this drug is doing this to you and we should change it and then we did and I remember that the the breaking point for my experience with now we're talking about psychiatry and stuff, which by the way, gentle listeners, I'm not not opposed to psychiatry and and antidepressant drugs, but there was a breaking point for me uh, in my experience of them when I went to my psychiatrist and I must have been I goodness I must have been like 20 at the time. This yeah, and I was telling him that. Uh, this one drug seemed to have shifted my mood and helped my focus this much, but then it didn't last and I felt let down again. And, and he said, well, don't worry, we'll just keep going until we find the right chemical cocktail for you. And then I thought, no, I, I think this needs to stop. I don't think this is actually addressing anything. This is just, the this is we're going to keep mixing chemical cocktails forever. And I don't want this to be my life, is just looking for the right chemical cocktail. 
Did you make a break with it at that point? I did make a break with it. Yeah, that was about when I left Chattanooga, Tennessee and moved out to Tacoma, Washington at the invitation of a friend because my spiritual life was not very good and I wasn't involved with the local church and my relationship with God was not good and that was a constant weight on my mind and my family had just kind of broken apart. So my mom and dad had been divorced um, a couple summers before that and I just thought, I don't want to live on antidepressant drugs the rest of my life, and I know I need God to help me. So I stopped taking drugs, and I began taking rather pitiful baby steps towards some kind of repentance. And then the Lord really pulled me along through involvement, especially through involvement in a church congregation over about 10 years. But I don't remember, after that time, after moving from Chattanooga, I don't remember really dealing with major episodes of depression after that. So that's that's kind of interesting. So that's me. great. You you conquered depression I these days. I conquered it. Did I conquer it? I, I don't know. I mean... You, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. That's right. That's what I did. Now you these days you only spend about three hours looking in a mirror You can too. Sobbing. Ask me how. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> sobbing for what might have been. <laughs> Jake, you ever been clinically depressed? You ever been like... Um, Ben and taking so I've, I've never and... been on antidepressants or anything like that. When I was about in fifth grade, my parents, my dad, I think, uh, really wanted to take me to a psychiatrist. Um, I was getting counseling through our school. I was just, it was really rough patch. I didn't want to have anything to do with my mom at that point. Uh, my parents divorced when I was five or six, and it's always been some rockiness around those relationships, we'll say. But yeah, there was a patch around fifth grade where I didn't want to have anything to do with my mom, and I was having a hard time in, in school. Had a teacher that we've talked about at the same time called, or, uh, named Libby Culliver, who was I awesome. We've talked about her many times on the bookening. Yeah, and so that was a particularly rough time, and the next closest thing would be my freshman year of college. In terms of being that severe, I, I experienced weeks of depression, like what you were, what you, what you started the show off with frequently, less frequently now. Uh, but, but in college, so I had been a believer, junior, senior year of high school, I became a believer, lost a lot of friends, quit the baseball team, re- really radical life changes happening, trying to find, get established in a church, which I did. Then in the summer going off to college, I worked as a second shift job in a factory and never saw the light of day. Working 60 hours a week in the factory, second shift, I'd wake up in the middle of the afternoon, go to work in the dark factory. And and then I went off to college, got sort of connected to a church, and then I got connected to a, a circle of friends. Uh, there were girls that lived on the floor above me that they were all cutters and anorexic bulimic. Um, and I was trying to minister the gospel to these uh. girls. And <laughs> and one of them in particular got really attached to me. So then I went home for Christmas break. The youth pastor of the church that I was at at home was discovered to be in, in multiple relationships with multiple girls in the youth group. Threw me for a huge loop. I've been a, a believer now for maybe a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. I come back to school. I'm in a tailspin because this is a guy I really looked, looked up to, set me on a reform trajectory. All of my theology really comes from this guy. I'm sort of in a tailspin. I quit going to this church. I end up at this bad church for a little while. And then this girl starts getting crazier and like coming into my room at five in the morning and telling me that all kinds of things and threatening suicide. And I end up dropping out of school. In the middle of the semester, I call my dad and I just tell him to come get me, and I go home. And uh, and then, after a 
like a month or so, I realize I want to go back and finish. And so I quietly come back for like the last two weeks of school. I talk to all my professors, finish up that, <laughs> that second semester. And, you know, I get my college career started off with like a 1.5 GPA. Um, but yeah, I was pretty depressed and I just wanted to quit life. It sounds for all the and, world uh, like an Amazon original independent movie. <laughs> uh, I've not often told that story, so I don't No, huh. I don't think we've heard, I think we, if 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 you've been following the arc of all the different stuff that we've talked about over the years on the bookening and I've ever told you that story? I think I've heard all the pieces, but I've never heard them put put together, put like, together that. like that. Yeah. Yeah, and then that summer I went on this mission trip where I met this girl who's now my wife. Ah, yeah, <laughs> as well. <laughs> her her dad Actually, because he knew I was depressed and was going through a rough patch, uh, signed me up for the trip and paid for it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> thus was something. And then I fell in love with his daughter. Mm-hmm. And now here we are. Yep, yep, yep. And that is a whole nother story. <laughs> now, fun fact about Ben that relates to depression. He likes to spend his weekends sitting in a corner looking at a Rolodex of all the women that have rejected him <laughs> and sobbing uncontrollably. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I, just, I don't spat out my tea. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so glad that we're going to get to do this joke. <laughs> now, Ben, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, you look through this Rolodex. It's a big Rolodex. You sob uncontrollably. You sit in the corner. Why the corner? Why not a comfortable couch or a, a Davenport or a sedan, sedan, sedan? You know, Nathan, when you, when you want to feel miserable, you don't want parts of you to be comfortable. You want right. your whole body to be involved in misery. You don't want to be able to feel the comfort of a nice couch cushion. You don't want to look out the window at the, the, at the bluebird and the tree. You want, to, you want to look at a corner. Oh, you actually sit facing the corner. That's even sadder. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're in the Amazon original... <laughs> indie movie whatever the uh, less enjoyable it is to sit there with my rolodex the better (laughs) (laughs) what were we talking about oh (laughs) depression um (laughs) people rolodex of depression (laughs) Uh, i been severely depressed what i think probably could have been i didn't go to a doctor but i think a doctor would have prescribed me pills or sent me to a psychologist if i had wanted to do it or, or thought to do it uh, once in my life, which was basically uh, real, not to go into my whole testimony, but I grew up in a Christian-ish home, grew up, went to a fairly good church, was never really all that connected or diligent in doing anything to pursue God or to uh, be a faithful Christian, to take adme- advantage of the good things that have been given me, but kind of had, if you've ever heard me on uh, some other programs that we've done, make fun of homeschoolers or people like that, that's because that's what I was. I was one of those people that took a lot of pride without even really realizing took a lot of pride in his uh, Christian heritage and his upbringing. And I just assumed that I, without even putting it this way, without ever thinking about it, I assumed that I was basically better than everyone, that I was smarter than everyone, that I understood more about theology and about godliness and about hard work than everyone. Then I went out into the real world and those things proved not to be the case. (laughs) It turned out that (laughs) in order to be a faithful Christian, you actually had to be faithful, not just grow up in a faithful environment. And particularly that was hammered home to me. My first real job was as a janitor at the great university of Purdue University, working third shift. And I would spend about half of my night doing the work and half of my night reading books. And it never occurred to me that this was a bad idea. It never occurred to me that this was sinful or something, you know, not doing my job correctly. I was left to myself in my little area. And as long as I got it decently clean, and I think I just assumed that I was capable of 
spending the four hours wherever anyone else would spend eight doing a fantastic job and then you know building my mind so that i could you know uh, be a writer or you know go help found warhorn media one day or whatever great thing i thought i was going to do about a year into that doing that my boss came to me and sat me down with him and the manager it was the supervisor and the manager so you knew it was serious and they said you're probably going to lose your job if you don't change because you suck and you're not doing a good job and it completely shocked me i was like wait a second i thought like my christian life was one of being better than all these pagans and i thought that i was diligent just by osmosis because i came from a christian culture where we talked about how diligent and smart and hardworking we are and i really thought that i could somehow game this i don't know but it was a shock to realize that I wasn't special, that I didn't stand out, that I wasn't salt or light to these pagans just simply by being beautiful me. I was shocked, devastated, afraid I was going to lose my job. And I just remember entering into this months-long period of anxiety, of everything in life losing its flavor, of, of, of there being nothing to turn to, not really feeling the presence of God, but always constantly praying to him and turning to him because I literally didn't have anything else. You know, there's nothing. It, was, it wasn't fun to watch movies. It wasn't fun to be with friends. It was, there was, everything had lost its flavor. So I didn't really have anything. Uh, this is maybe a bad way to put it, but it was like, I didn't have anything better to do than to turn to God. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. that was the only thing that was really left. And maybe th- after three months of that, I remember it was around Thanksgiving. God just lifted it. And I started working harder at my job. And if I was going to do my testimony and say the one, the place where I probably, you know, I mean, I still sometimes wonder to this day whether I'm a real Christian, but you can, I don't have one of those, like I accepted Jesus into my heart type stories. But I think the closest I do have was this, because I suddenly became aware of my own sin. I was very devastated by it. And then I, you know, like James says in James 4, I stopped laughing and I started mourning and I mourned for a good many months, mourned my pride, mourned my stupidity and uh, just felt bad about it, felt anxious, felt useless, felt worthless. It's the kind of thing, maybe this is a dangerous thing to say, but it makes me understand why people commit suicide because you could not go on feeling that way forever. You'd have to find a way to not feel that Hmm. way. And at the end of the day, if it came to it and you had no hope and you thought the only way to not feel this way is to blot out my existence, then I understand why people would, it's a wicked thing to do. Don't do it. Don't, don't, don't take what I'm saying the wrong way. But it's something that if you've ever actually had that kind of depression, you at least understand what the thing that's happening in someone's heart when they do something awful like that is. But God was faithful, and he was faithful to discipline me by not just relieving me of it the second that I started to repent, by, but by stretching the repentance out, and the repentance continues to this day, God willing. So that's my brush with real depression, with clinical depression. Now, there's another kind of depression, which I'd say I feel all the time, and not 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 100% of the time, but often, and that is just the low kind of, eh, where's God, what's the point? Is what I'm doing right? Is this worth anything? Is this worth anything? Sure. I feel that often. Yeah. Um, Likewise, I think. <clears throat> yep. Oh, no! <laughs> it's the devil's advocacy alarm! <laughs> Our favorite segment. You guys know the the DAA. Right? Yes. Yeah. That means somebody's got to play the devil advocate. I don't know. Probably tell us why we're, we shouldn't even be doing this episode. Who wants to play the devil's advocate? 
Jake, you did such a fantastic job last time. You want to take a crack at it this time? Yeah, sure. But the first thing that I can say for sure is that none of you guys are real Christians. Okay. Because real Christians Crap. experience a joyful, triumphant life. That explains a lot, actually. Okay. Yeah. And if, if you ever feel depressed and sad, it's because you're clearly doing it wrong. What you need to do is find it. Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength and rejoice in the Lord always. And so you're disobeying and you stink and you just need to... <laughs> Well, live the triumphant Christian life. I probably don't even have the Holy Spirit then, right, Nathan? I mean, I don't. The fruit of the Spirit is love, are... joy. Right. Joy. There you go. Right. So if you don't That's have it. if you don't have joy in any given moment, it's because the Holy Spirit is not in fact with you. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's depressing. <laughs> mm. Anything so, else you'd like to say, Mister Devils? Uh, that's advocate? good for now. I think I can come back and uh, yeah. take down any response you have with sure. ease. Sure. Right. It, it does make me rethink all those psalms, you know? It's like, really what was happening was... That was, was... before the Holy Spirit came. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, David wasn't a Christian either. Okay, right. that explains so a lot. David yeah. says, take not your Holy Spirit from me in Psalm 51. He's right. not well, the Holy Spirit, talking about... The Holy Spirit, like, would come and go as needed back then, you know? It was God did whatever he wanted to do, and David was a king, and like, so like kings and prophets, the Holy Spirit would come and go. But now... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All believers have the Holy Spirit indwelling them at all times. Okay. Okay. There yeah. is power, power, wonder-working power. You know? Wow. Or what's what's a what's another one of those songs about the joy of? Uh, I've got the joy, the joy, 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 joy down, down in my heart. Where? <laughs> so, or, so either you've got it down in your heart or you don't. Right. And if you don't, it's because you don't have Jesus. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. That's right. Thank you, Car- <laughs> Carmen. Or <laughs> no, that's from this. If the Carmen? devil doesn't like it, he can sit oh, on yeah. attack. I forgot all about Ouch, that. Sit on attack. <laughs> I forgot all about that. That song has all that. kinds of wonderful verses. <laughs> my favorite. Talk about Carmen now. Uh, <laughs> We don't. We're not that depressed. <laughs> we know if this episode starts going south, it's because the devil, as portrayed in every Carmen music video ever, is like, "Oh no, the word of God is going out to people in this podcast. <laughs> I must stop it." <laughs> and then there's some demon that's like, "Yes, master." <laughs> and then they go and take out the electrical unit. Or right. Something. Yeah. <laughs> I will stop Carmen from preaching and saving everyone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love Carmen music videos <laughs> oh, um yeah basically every time i feel depressed i assume that i am in fact living a carmen music video and uh is carmen still alive is carmen still with I'm sure us he is. look it up <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure he's doing Here we cruises go. with dc talk wait a minute actually this is, a, this is like a reference to our last episode in celtic mythology carmen or carmoon was a warrior woman and sorceress from athens okay tried to invade ireland okay so really Come carmen on. is always with us <laughs> moving Moving on, moving on. <laughs> Carmen, American Christian singer. Here we go. Born 1956. He's evidently still alive. What was his latest album called? What's Carmen up to these days? Oh, dis- discography. 2014, after a seven-year absence from adding to his discography. Seven dry years. It's no like the Plan seven- B. No Plan B. That's the name of it. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about it. What about his filmography? Hold on. Oh, Hold yeah. What's on. the latest movie? Hold on. Is there a latest movie? Yes. There- I'm going to say yes. Yes, there is. There a latest is. One. 2013. Final the Rapture as Wait, Frankie. Final the Rapture a spanking? What? <laughs> That's not what I said. What did you say? <laughs> final colon the Rapture <laughs> as Frankie. <laughs> he plays Frankie. Wait, oh, he plays Frankie. He plays Frankie. <laughs> in final colon <laughs> the, the Rapture. rapture. <laughs> he also played Frankie in the 2010 film Changing Hands. So it sounds like uh, a left behind ish series of movies. I don't really know. Anyway, there you go. Final colon the movie. Look it up, folks. Watch the 
trailer, support the great work of Carmen. Doesn't have a last name, does he? He's kind of like he's like Madonna or uh, one of those I, guys. I have his birth name here. What's actually. his birth name? Well, I'm just gonna read the whole birth name: Carmelo <clears throat> Dominic. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. I'm sorry, Vicciardello. I think that's right. An Italian name. There you go. There we go. You know? The great Carmen, a subject that has nothing to do with what we were just ta- what we were talking about. How did we get on to Carmen? Oh, because Carmen presents a perfect picture of how the Christian life should be led and the ways that the devil tries to ensnare us away from it by making us sad or, or depressed or uh, that's pretty much every Carmen music video ever. Yeah, well, I remember as a kid being really tormented by the idea that if I ever felt anything bad, I was not living my life according to God's will. Like it would be scary to realize there were bad feelings within myself that, that I was depressed, for example, or, or sad because it'd be like, I'm supposed to be joyful. The joy is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in my life. If I do not have this, I must be doing something wrong or I must not be a Christian, which means that if I'm hit by a bus today, I will go to hell. So hmm. I followed that train of logic all the way there and I was frightened out of my wits when I got to thinking about it late at night or whenever mm-hmm. kids think about such things. But what is the... what What is the... What is the argument against the devil in this case? Against Jake the devil. Mm-hmm. I think Ben was starting us on it before I yeah. horribly derailed him with the Psalms. Well, the, you you have to have the Spirit of God to, to enter the, the kingdom of heaven. That's what that's Jesus' point to Nicodemus. And so, without really going into it, I mean, what, what Jesus says to Nicodemus when he's talking about being born, born again of the Spirit is, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? That's what he says to Nicodemus. Nicodemus should have known. Like you have to, the spirit of God has to has to change you if you if you're gonna know God. So, so what's your point? Don't buy that. Only New Testament believers have the spirit of God. That's just ah, yes, not. That's just not biblical. And having the spirit of God, one will have the fruits of the spirit, and one of those fruits is joy. Right. I think maybe it would be helpful to parse the different reasons that people get depressed. Jake, what are the different reasons that people get <laughs> depressed? Okay, so. Um... That was disgusting. <laughs> Please don't take big gulps of your fago while I'm trying to think and talk. <laughs> Preferably be take no gulps of any fago ever again. <laughs> Duly noted, I might have to get this again, though. It's pretty good. Well, so one reason uh, that people get depressed is because of actual sin in their lives. Mm. We all have bad consciences before God because we've all sinned before God. And whenever we're brought face to face with our sin, we have to do something with it. We have to do something with our bad consciences. And so that's why a lot of us live our lives trying to drown out our consciences. The way that we mediate the tension of our guilt before a holy God is to try to hide from the pain, hide from the tension, hide from the fear of the coming judgment. So we saturate our lives with entertainment. You know, you get up in the morning, the music's playing, your alarm goes off, it's playing music, you get in the shower, the TV goes on. At the breakfast table, you get in the car, you're listening to something on Spotify or your favorite podcast or whatever. You get to work, you work, you come home, music, TV, food, TV, Netflix, alcohol, whatever it is. From morning to night, we try to escape feeling the weight of our sin. And then occasionally, we either do something that we're so ashamed of or we get alone enough. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with ourselves that it, that it's brought to our attention with force and it just it brings us down right. the weight of our sin even even um the weight of suppressing 
our guilt can weigh us down and, and people don't even know that that's what, what's weighing them down. So I think that's, that's one cause of depression in, in the huge uh, variation of, of degree, like from mild right. to... And God d- commands us to not take the verses that say rejoice in the Lord always and use them to run from that kind of depression, but to actually, I don't want to say embrace that, 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 impre- that depression, but to... To face it. To face it. I have it right here. James 4 says, submit yourselves to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sin- sinners, and purify you hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. So stack that up with all the verses that say rejoice. We actually have a command from God to mourn, be gloomy, be sad about your sin. Yeah. Yeah. So the proper way to deal with the guilt of our sin is not to run from it and it's not to hide. It's to embrace. And even in a world where God has sent his son to die for our sins and we do have the ultimate joy of knowing we will be, we have been sanctified and we will be glorified, we are still commanded and it is still a natural thing to feel sadness over our sin. If you don't feel sadness over your sin, it's because you don't have any value on the glory of God or the glory or the goodness of walking in his ways. And so you can't have it both ways. There is no mourning, real mourning over sin and real repentance of sin that turns and translates into real substantial joy without actually facing your sin and and, and really mourning over it in the light of God's holiness, in the light of God's glory, in the light of God's goodness. And so what God calls us to do is to have faith and courage to face our sin, to see it for what it is, to agree with God in the wickedness of it, and to turn to God with open hands and cry out to him for forgiveness of sin and for help to overcome sin. And that's where joy is found when we're able to come into the presence of a holy God through what he has done on our behalf through Jesus on the cross. But everybody wants and not to be consumed. rush to that part of everybody it. Everybody wants to climb over the fence, wants to jump around, wants to wants to find a way around. And you should re- just, reali- just realize... And just go straight to joy. Here's the part where I'm Mr. Rogers, and I'm just going to say, well, you know, uh, it's okay to be sad, people. Uh, there, You are going to have seasons in your life. You're going to have moments day to day, but you'll also just have weeks, months, years even. You will have times where you're doing the work of working through the sadness that the consequences of your sin create and of and the knowledge of your own sinfulness and your own wretchedness before God you're going to have to work through that in your life if you're doing it right there will be times where you feel like crap and that's real and that's completely normal and that's part of what the psalms exist to teach us and show us is what we actually mm-hmm. see is David and the other psalmists working through those times in their lives where they're feeling the weight of their sin, they're feeling the weight of the corruption of the world that they live in, and they're feeling oppressed by it. And what they don't do is put it in a bottle and hide it away and say, I've got the joy, joy, you know, just start singing, I've got the joy down in my heart or deny that those emotions are real. What they do is they, they accept that they're real and they don't wallow in it either. That's the other thing they don't do. Right. What they do is they, they bring it to God. What are some examples of that in the Psalms in case people don't know what the Psalms, a sadly underutilized book for many people. What are some good examples? Well, you, you can almost literally open the, the Bible to any, any page of the book of Psalms and within the two pages that you have open, find one that has some element of mourning or sadness. Uh, some of the more poignant ones, uh, especially early on would be Psalm 6, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you hide your face 
from me forever? How long will you forget me? Will I go down weeping into the dust? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> if I if I if I perish, if I am consumed, will, will the worms praise you? Like, what good mm-hmm. is this? More, my bones are. Cr- I feel like my bones are crushed within me. I my eyes are. are I sleep on a bed of tears. Is I think Psalm six, right? Mm-hmm. All all night I sleep in beds of tears, right? right? <laughs> like, uh, and, and so what he's doing is he's not saying I can't sleep in beds of tears and I can't f- be vexed over my sin or the oppression of an, a cruel and corrupt world. I can't be vexed by any of this. I have to feel the joy of the Lord. What he does is he says, God, I feel miserable. Like I can't eat. I'm wasting away. I feel sick. I, I'm sleeping all night. I'm just crying. I don't know what to do. I feel like you've abandoned me. How long will you forget me? Like, and he doesn't hesitate bringing that level of, seems to me that you've forgotten me. What's going on? He doesn't hesitate to bring that to God. That is the godly response. It's, it's not to pretend like those things aren't real and that you should never feel that way. It's to say, this is how I actually feel. And so I'm not going to sit here and wallow in it, and I'm not going to deny it. I'm going to turn to God and say, God, this is how I feel. Help. Help. And that's one of the reasons why I could never not be a Christian, because I just feel like Christians are the only ones. True biblical Christianity is one of the only places where you'll find allowance for the fact that people actually feel like that. You know, Ben's basic sort of, I don't know whether you, did you grow up a Christian? Uh, Yeah, I did. But the sort of the, the guy that wanted to mix you up a cocktail, his basic assumption is that you shouldn't ever feel like this. You shouldn't That's have right. to deal with these feelings. We're going to nuke them out of his existence with with some a chemical, you know, That's compound right. if we can do it. You know, however, we if, if we can, uh, you know, go back to Victorian times and put a chisel against your brain and suddenly make you not feel this way, <laughs> you know, um, leech it out of you, leech it out of you, bleed it out of <laughs> you, tie go. you up and uh, melancholy you know. humors. Right. Yeah. Drain out. some of those melancholy humors. <laughs> <laughs> Give you some electroshock therapy. Electroshock. No, yeah, yeah people have tried all the most insane things because they have this basic assumption that they're supposed to be happy. That is an assumption that before the fall was a good one. But um, and it's still a right actual assumption. God, mm. it's not normal. It's not right in one sense, in a kind of cosmic sense. For the fall is not good. Right. We're not supposed to be in a state of mourning or sadness because we're supposed to be in a state of wonderful communion and fellowship with God. So you know, there's the, there are the symptoms, right? but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's misdiagnosed and it's certainly mistreated right. Right, all the time. Oh, I, I was going to say, it's also because we live in a fallen world and we, we see sin and its effects and we see suffering. We, I mean, we have a command to mourn with those who mourn. And so, you know, a godly man who does have the joy of the Lord is going to be a man of sorrows like like Christ. He's right. going to follow Jesus into into the sorrows of the world. He's not going to because try he's to going to carry the sorrows of other people. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think when you when what what you what a lot of people actually do is they have this legalistic thing that says I must be joyful. And I mean, it might work for a couple of years in your life, but you end up really depressed because you're, you have this, uh, you actually end up more depressed than people like what I think we're presenting as the, the godly way to do it, which is to say, I'm going to be sad as I repent, as I mourn with people who mourn, as I live in this fallen world, and then I'm going to take, find my joy in the Lord. But when you, when you can't actually go through that process and you have to just kind of pretend like that process doesn't exist, you end up, you can't do it. You actually right. end up, you end up, uh, it's going to come out. It it's going to, it's going to explode. People deal with their anger the same way. Mm-hmm. And you know, that sort of happy joy, <laughs> 
thing. You know? I, had a, I had a teacher in my uh, wonderful Christian high school. won't tell you which one I went to, but I had a teacher who uh, was a Seventh-day Adventist, actually. He did not think that Christians should ever get angry or that God ever got angry. I remember one time a friend of mine in school raised her hand and said, you know, I, I, I think uh, God actually does get angry a number of times in the Bible. So uh, M- Mr. Hansen began to get a little bit irritated with that. And then it was just like, it turned into the most sitcomish, ridiculous, you'd never be able to realize this thing because Mr. Hansen got furious as we started, as the students, many of them uh, like, yeah, actually, <laughs> we're, we're like, uh, actually, it's kind of seems Mr. Hansen like God does get angry. And it finally got to the point. I remember this where Mr. Hansen might as well have had spittle coming out of his uh, <laughs> mouth saying Christians should not get angry. God does not get angry. There's no anger that is ever justified. <laughs> <laughs> that is a real thing that happened. Zero percent just uh, exaggeration there. <laughs> it will out. <laughs> yeah. So that's an example of what Jake's talking about where you try and suppress it, but it actually comes out in some very ridiculous ways sometimes. <laughs> yeah, uh, and God God doesn't teach us to suppress our anger. He, he teaches us to submit our ourselves to him. And that's what the Psalms, yeah, absolutely teach us. You just can't, you can't live under that kind of tension. You just can't live under it. Right. And that's why you do get people who are so overwhelmed with the weight of their sin and shame that they do horrible things because, and it, and it doesn't seem apparent or obvious to people around them. And it's because it's been brooding under the surface for a long time and they've been hiding it and suppressing it and then they can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, here, so here's one question is, you know, is depression sin or are some kinds of depression sin and when? When? What What kinds and when? And, I think there's know. definitely sinful depression, and it's when it's self-pitying and it's wallowing it. There's a kind of, and I'm definitely tempted by this all the time, there's a kind of depression of that is simply mental mm. masturbation and mm. uh, sort of like self-pity and right. sort of self-glorification even, you know, just like, I'm so I'm so misunderstood. And misunderstood and <laughs> I know nobody, that kind. Nobody gets me. <laughs> I know that kind. If only everybody understood how great I was, then... You know, or whatever. Absolutely, there is. And it turns into a kind of festering bitterness. Mostly, I don't admit to myself that I'm angry at God when I'm feeling that kind of quote unquote depression, but it is ultimately a festering bitterness again. Like, God, why did you give me this job again? Why did you put this person in my life again? You really thought that was a good idea? I think I know a little bit better than you. I mean, Uh and I've actually had those times where that's spilled over. I can think of one time that's actually quite frightening to think of where I'd been wallowing in that sort of self-pity for a while. And then I was in the car driving somewhere and I suddenly started, it just, the rage came boiling out of me and I was suddenly telling God all the ways that he had failed me. And it's really scary to think about what I said, like I should have been struck down by lightning kind of thing. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. like, I can't believe that festering hatred of God was even there, but it was, and it built up through this bitter sort of self self pity. So that's a sin. There's also, and you don't read or think much about this nowadays because we're all ma- crass materialists. But the devil, Satan, is an accuser, an accuser of the brethren. And if you're reformed, you have a strong tradition of uh, men who understood what that meant and understood it to mean how the devil comes and accuses you before God, accuses your conscience before God, assaults you. And uh, Martin Luther has a really great passage. Calvin does this too, so you can't just dismiss this as a Lutheran thing. (laughs) But uh, yes, Luther has this great passage in his commentary on Galatians where he's talking about how 
what what happens to us is we the devil comes and we we get convinced that we're we're sinners. He throws our sins in our faces. He shoves our sins in our faces. We do this to ourselves all the time. He insists that there's a spiritual component going on too. It's not just us by ourselves, mm-hmm. but shoves your sins, all your failures in your face and says, see, see, you have nothing to do with, with, with Christ. What he says to do in that moment is really beautiful. The real thing to do is to simply agree with Satan. Say, you're right. I am everything that you say and worse. I had forgotten how bad of a sinner I was. Jesus came to save sinners. I am qualified to receive the forgiveness of God by that. I accept that. And in doing that, you take the sword out of his hand and you cut his head off. And I think that there is a, I think that um, sometimes people get depressed and it doesn't seem like there are natural reasons. And I, I think it's helpful to remember things like that, that just simple gospel truths, Jesus came to save sinners. And that is what I am. And therefore I am qualified, not disqualified, but qualified because I'm a sinner to come under the, the blood and mercy of Jesus Christ. I also think Charles Spurgeon did a, did a huge favor to people like me. Ben, you're a, pe- you're a student at Clarinet Pastors College. You've not read lectures to my students yet, unless you've read it on no, your own. I, I, there's, a, there's a chapter in there called The Minister's Fainting Fits. And, uh, <laughs> it's a great title. It's a great Beautiful. title. Yeah. One of the things he does is he talks about the cycle of depression and discouragement that's common in ministry. And I think it's common in the lives of all sorts of believers. And he says, sometimes you need to really wrestle with your conscience and, and wrestle with, with the devil and wrestle with the Lord. <laughs> and sometimes what you actually need to do is uh, realize that you have been cooped up in your cramped study for a really long time and you need to go out and get some fresh air and some sunshine and get over yourself. And I have found that to be really helpful and liberating to say, yeah, you know what? Actually, it's Maybe part of the reason I'm depressed is because it's February. Right. <laughs> because I'm you know? drinking a bunch of Fago and <laughs> right, right, right. not eating any. So, so, so you don't want to be a crass materialist, but you don't want to be a crass, what, spiritualist? You don't want to be, yeah. a, you don't want to be, be super agnostic. spiritual that yeah. tur- you turn everything into this like you know, spiritual warfare or me and my conscience and everything's all, you know, like, actually, I've been eating poorly and I've not been getting exercise and I've not had any sunshine. Yeah, like, we've those are real things. Depression is yeah. connected to yeah, sin, yeah. but actually, you know, I mean, if, if somebody comes into your office as a pastor and says, oh, I'm depressed, first I assume you're going to take their pulse and ask a bunch of questions and try and figure out if there's sin. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but at a certain point, it is entirely conceivable, and I think we've all... I know. certainly have done it. I've just told people, actually, you just need to get over yourself and take a walk out in the sunshine once a day. Yeah, you like, just feel sad. And yeah. I'm, I would even go so far as to say, like Ben was making reference to earlier, there are some people that have chemical imbalances that have things that th- there, there are a lot of times when people take those uh, anti th- those drugs different drugs it's because they just want to forget about their sin and about the sins that have been committed against them and they want to suppress it all and it's just another mm-hmm. f- fancier way sort of, of drinking need to be recalibrated yes yeah, so other people just you know there's there are chemicals in our bodies there are reasons that sometimes we feel overcast or downcast that have absolutely nothing to do with the science of all this stuff is really unclear but it's obvious to me from my experience and from my observation spiritual problems manifest often in physical as physical problems and physical problems yeah, and vice versa uh, manifest as spiritual problems or are interpreted as spiritual problems. And they're not always just that way. Like I feel really depressed and discouraged and I'm down today. I must have. And then you start analyzing yourself and you go down into the wormhole and well, you, actually, tell, you tell a good story about a man who conquered his lust uh, and lived up North. 
da da da. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's a friend of mine who's a pastor, and uh, he he got he took a call way up way up north and thought that suddenly he was achieving victory over his his sin of lust and was feeling really good about himself, and then he realized. Uh, uh, no, he went on vacation, I think it was, to the beach. And then he realized he hadn't conquered his sin of lust, <laughs> that he'd just been living in a climate where people are forced to dress more modestly because of the weather. And then it, you know, it sent him in a sort of spiral. And, and part of the spiral was, oh man, am I like unspiritual? And you know, if I've really conquered, and I think the reason you want me to tell this story is just sometimes the means that God uses to help us in our struggle with sin are really banal. Yeah, like he actually had had some victory over his lust is because God did, get, did him the great <laughs> favor of moving him north. Of moving him north. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, yeah. and sometimes the great victory we need over our depression is the ability to step back and say, hey, God is good. And it would probably be good if I went for a walk. Instead of trying to live in the clouds of my super spiritualness, I brought my feet back down to the ground and touched the grass and breathe the fresh air. Maybe these are are part of God's remedies mm. for yeah. the sad and sorry state of my my feeling right now, this right. overwhelming <laughs> feeling that I've interpreted as... For me, it's often just whether I've been with people or not been with people. I, I, I uh, my, my, uh, my, my Myers-Briggs things put me, puts me at 51% extroverted, which means I basically like to be with people and be the life of the party, but then I feel horrible after it and want to crawl into a hole and die. Um, but I find that if I've spent a few days just not seeing anybody, just like maybe doing work at home or whatever, suddenly... I'll just need to see people. It doesn't matter. And there'll be part of me that wants to wallow in self-pity and keep, there's like this weird, I don't even know how to describe it, but there's this thing that wants me to not see people. And it's almost, I almost want to say it's satanic, but I don't know. It's just, it's just this weird, that's like, you should just stay by yourself and be in your house and do stuff. And it's like, actually, no, just going out, getting some fresh air. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's easy to over-spiritualize it and say, you know what? I can actually be in my house and feel without my friends and feel the glory of the Lord here just as well as anywhere. But actually, I need to recalibrate with some friends and get some fresh air and do something and go out and be with people. And, you know, I mean, it's just as simple as that. It's that kind of thing. Yeah, anybody else want to say anything about uh, depression, Ben? I think you can throw away that Rolodex. You don't have to focus on all these women that have rejected you, the hundreds and hundreds of women. You don't have to I beat can your... just let it go just like that? You can just... Uh, just cut it away? Just, just cut like it that? Just set it on fire. You can wow. sit in the corner and weep over your sin instead. <laughs> <laughs> and then go get some ice cream with your friends <laughs> or something like that. You mean like with you guys? I think he said... With your friends. That's, oh, that's, right. My friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get some ice cream with you sometime, All Ben. All right. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Anything anybody else want to say on the topic of depression? You don't have to feel insane. This show is called Sound of Sanity. You do not have to feel insane if... You feel down sometimes. Figure out what it is. Is it, If it's sin, repent of it. Do the work. It might take a while. If it's not just uh, you need to take a walk, take a walk. But don't don't be surprised by it. That's the thing. I think Christians have a way of always being surprised by the fact that there's sin in their lives, the fact that there's sadness in their lives, the fact that there's a lack of victory this side of heaven. And it's just, it's nothing to be surprised of. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Be ashamed of the things that are wicked in your life, but don't be ashamed of the fact that pain hurts. And having discovered the Psalms and the reality of sadness and the commands of Scripture to be 
miserable and mourn over your sin. Uh, oh, please don't make a virtue out of don't that. Don't make a virtue out mm-hmm. of wallowing in in depressive misery and thinking that you should just live inside a Dostoevsky novel. Yeah. Dostoevsky was a moron. <laughs> live inside a, a, a Tolstoy novel. You must do one of the Russians. Um, but even better yet, live in America. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Depression and sorrow and misery over over sin and, and the corrupt state of the world that you live in is not something to hide away and pretend isn't real. And it's also, again, We've said it, but it's also not something to just embrace and wallow in. And unfortunately, that's probably what a lot of our listeners, being of the more reformed-ish variety, are going to want to, ah, look at me, look at how sober and what a cold and rational eye I cast upon the great sins of the nation of America and of the church around me, and woe is me, and only I understand, and da 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 sackcloth and ashes, dust to dust, and come on. Life is great. I mean, (laughs) there's a lot to enjoy. If you're in America, you've been blessed in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, you do just have to go out and get some fresh air. And Yeah, no, get on with your life and actually do something. You live in a world where, you know, you can... Therefore, get to work. Get a cheeseburger and it's delicious and it's full of protein. You can drink Fago and it's got all these carbs Mm. and see Anyone living in a world where Ben Solzer is, exists and drinks uh, 24 ounces of Fago in the space of one <laughs> it's all gone. recording session has no real reason to be depressed. The fine aftertaste of potassium benzoate is on my tongue right now. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Guys, the sound of sanity. Oh, anything, Jake? Uh, Warhorn Media? Anything in the hopper these days? Uh... Basically, you still should be listening to World We Made. I think it's just wrapping up maybe this week, next week. It's a great podcast available on the same app where you're listening or the same website where you're listening to this one, no doubt, uh, unless you've ripped an MP3 of this and are doing something weird with it, which I don't know how I feel about that. Anything else? Well, we are very, very close to releasing Tim's book, uh, The Grace of Shame, Seven Ways the Church has Failed to Love Homosexuals. And one thing we didn't say the last time that we can say about it is that for the first 30 days, this book will be available for free in ebook form, I think in all ebook forms, on exclusively at warwarnmedia.com. So if you want to check that book out, they'll also be available um, in paperback on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever else you... Wherever you else can, fine books are sold. That's right. But if you want, if you want a free copy, absolutely go check out warwarnmedia.com. We'll have a link up as soon as uh, that... Uh, book releases September 4th so mark your calendar yep, yep. Be ready September for 4th uh, you can always if you want uh, if you if this pot, weekly uh, Sound of Sanity isn't enough me and Jake for you and you want to hear all our thoughts on great literature with our good friend uh, Brandon Chastine go and listen to The Bookening a personal favorite of mine among all the great Warhorn products that are out there listen to our episode on uh, we didn't really ever do an episode on Dostoevsky listen to our episode on Anna Karenina the good Russian the Russian that understood that life wasn't a meaningless pile of crap. Dostoevsky is for every man who has a Rolodex full of uh, <laughs> full of women who have rejected him. Dostoevsky probably did have a Rolodex of whatever the Russian equivalent of a Rolodex full of women that rejected him was. Binders. So, binders full of women, yes, I think. Yes, binders. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Dostoevsky was a moron. That's my hot take for the day. Hey, folks, The Sound of Sanity was engineered by Benjamin Sulcer, produced by Nathan Alberson, and like all fine Warhorn products, executive produced by Jacob Menzel and Nathan Alberson. Until next time, stay sane.